You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine, joined by Lila Bromberg and Jordan Gold. And today we will be talking about the National Football League, the Major League Baseball, WNBA, and the PLL, as well as a special announcement at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned for that all the way through. And we'll start with football because that is the biggest story right now with Darnell Savage, the safety for the Green Bay Packers who had a monster game this past Sunday. Yeah, he has looked so good this season. Um, I wasn't sure how he was going to translate to the NFL. I knew that he was going to be really, really good, but I didn't think he would be this good and have this big of an impact so fast. Um, So, you know, this past weekend, he had five tackles, four of which were solo. Uh, He had a pass deflection. And most importantly, he had his first career interception, which was a huge moment for him. Let's look back a little bit at you know, what that moment was like for him uh, against Joe Flacco and the Broncos. Through this area of the field that gave him troubles. Flacco to throw. And intercepted by Savage. There's a flag down at the 46-yard line. It's just a clean pick. What a great job. Sure looks to me like he's got his hands underneath that. And so there's no penalty uh, or anything going on there. It was ruled an interception. What did you, Were you guys watching? What do you think when you guys saw that play? Yeah, I was watching, and I, I think that was really an awesome moment for Savage. He has really taken the league by storm through the first three games. He is now viewed as the betting favorite for Defensive Rookie of the Year uh, via Bovado's lines. He's at plus 350, the next closest is Devin Bush of the Steelers out of Michigan. He had, He's at plus 450. He's, he's had a great season as well with 19 tackles. And then the rest of the uh, top favorites are the other top picks in Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver. But I think right now, Savage has firmly put himself in the driver's seat to uh, win the Defensive Rookie of the Year. And if he keeps this up, I think that trophy is going to be his. Yeah, and reporters have been talking about it as well. Uh, you had uh, Peter Bukowski, who is uh, an NFL reporter for SB Nation, you know, saying that he is uh, constantly and consistently affecting the quarterback and, you know, really a defensive rookie player of the year candidate. But let's talk about that list a little bit. Every single player on there was drafted before Savage. Yeah, I. Th- it was uh, it was a big draft for defensive players, a lot of talent coming in. And I think that a lot of the top guys haven't really produced yet, especially to the level of Savage. You see Nick Bosa, he only has three tackles and a sack so far this season. Quinnen Williams of the Jets has only even played in one game. He's been battling an ankle injury. So the competition from the top guys hasn't been as strong as one might have thought coming into the season. And Savage has really taken the opportunity and risen to the challenge and has been a a real beast in that new look Packers defense that has become one of the best in the league. They're fifth in uh, pass defense, and I think that is largely due to the impact that Savage has played. I think that the need for Savage with Green Bay was the reason he was passed up on by a lot of teams because not many teams needed that 
guy in the secondary. And the Packers didn't really have that good of a pass defense last season. And as Jordan just said, they're doing really, really well so far this season. That has a lot to do with drafting Darnell Savage and the way he's played so far. Yeah, I have to say, though, as pretty as that interception was, I was not a fan of those jerseys. I know, like, so many people on Twitter were saying they loved them. I, I was not a fan. I love throwbacks, but I have to say, I think those are a little, you know, ugly. Yeah, I don't know who you were following on Twitter. I, I The the <laughs> the uh, reception that I saw on Twitter was how ugly they were, and I feel like I see it every year with the Packers in these jerseys. Everyone's like, why are they wearing these? They're, I mean, the yellow helmets are just not too uh, visually appealing for the fans and the jerseys aren't anything special. I think they look much better in their uh, classic uniforms. Well, also you're a Jets fan. You guys have like the worst the New worst. jerseys. The worst. I, th- I mean, New I th- jerseys are awful. I think it's, I think they're solid jerseys. I think that the helmets are pretty, pretty fresh. Um, but... with, with the Packers, I don't know how long we can consider these throwback uniforms if they wear them more like I would say they wear them about a quarter of the games that they play every season. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a special thing. I don't think any of the other 31 teams wear a throwback jersey that many times a year, if at all in any season. So, we really don't see that many throwback jerseys from other teams and I think that's why everyone's kind of sick of these throwbacks or everyone's calling them throwbacks for the Packers. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, Packers, obviously, one of the most historic organizations in the sport, if not the most historic team. And so I guess they, you know, like to pay tribute to uh, their rich past. And, yeah, I think that they probably should get rid of these going forward. So one thing I've seen is, like, everywhere I've seen a ton of comparisons of Savage to six-time Pro Bowler Earl Thomas. Do you guys see that? Do you think that... The way he's looking right now, up for defensive, you know, player of the year possibly, making a huge impact for the Packers. Does he have a chance to really be a dominant player for a long time in this league? I totally see it. I think that he's in a well. First, with the Earl Thomas comparisons, I first saw that from Ryan Clark, obviously the ESPN analyst and former Pittsburgh Steeler and Redskin, who had a very successful career in the NFL as a safety. So he probably knows a little bit about what he's talking about. And I think that he's he's very reminiscent of Thomas. He's a ball hawk. He's everywhere on the field. He's laying out big hits. He's just really making his presence felt so much through these first three games. And I think that, I mean, if he keeps up this pace, he's going to be a pro bowler, an all pro. And I, hopefully he can do that and become one of the best Terps in the league and join, uh, get to that Stefan Diggs, Janik, and Gakwe level. And with Earl Thomas, we mentioned six-time Pro Bowler. He's a three-time All-Pro and a Super Bowl champion. So, obviously, that's a lot to live up to for Savage to get to that level, just being just playing in three games so far. But in terms of play style, I think Jordan hit it on the nose with him being a ball hawk, just like Earl Thomas is. He's all over the field. He's making tackles in his spot where he starts at the snap, and he's getting all over the field. He gets to the quarterback, he gets to the running back who's rushing the ball. It doesn't matter who has the ball or whether it's being thrown in the air. Darnell Savage, is some he's somewhere near the play always. And I think that's a really good comparison for Earl Thomas right now. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Thomas's Super Bowl. I think that there could be a chance that Savage gets a ring in year one. The Packers have really proven to be the class of the NFC so far. They play in about the toughest division in football with the Vikings, the Bears, and the Lions, all of which have winning records. And 
two of the Packers win so far against the Vikings and the Bears. So, I mean, they're dominating one of the best divisions in football. They're playing they're the best football we've seen from the Packers in a long time. New head coach Matt LaFleur looks to really have uh, resonated with these guys, and he seems to be doing a great job. And the Packers are really definitely one of the favorites in the NFC, and if not in the whole league. And going into the season, everyone was talking about, you know, the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers and the kind of season he was going to have. And the talk has now completely shifted to the defense. The defense has carried them in all of their wins uh, to start 3-0 and on the season. And uh, Savage has been a huge part of that. And I think it's great that he landed in a situation where he could start right away. But a lot of times I feel like as a rookie, you know, it's a big jump from college football uh, to the NFL. And, you know, a lot of rookies kind of succumb under pressures. We talked about a lot of the picks that went higher than him aren't doing that great. Um, and he has come in, handled the pressure, and really stepped up as that big guy in year one. And I think that it takes a really strong type of mentality and talent to do that. And I think that says a lot about who he is in the player uh, and career that he can have in this league for a long time. Yeah, and I think it, it speaks a lot to um, how strong and how great of a player Savage is that he's had this much of an impact so early in the season at the in the secondary, which is a position that you see um, really struggle to uh, assimilate to the speed of the NFL in their rookie years. You see it more so with corners, but safeties too really don't do too well um, in their first years. And I think that that's very impressive to see how well um, Savage has adjusted his game to the speed of the NFL. And the Packers... Yeah, we all thought that the story was going to be the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers with this new look offense with a offensive guru and Matt LaFleur as the coach. And the talk has really – not that Rodgers hasn't been vintage Rodgers yet. He's, he's been good. He has um, led them to 3-0 record. But the talk for the Packers has really just been about how great this defense has been. And the Packers will look to play Thursday night against Philadelphia – so arguably the toughest team they'll play so far, obviously in terms of offense I'm talking because Chicago, they played in week one, has a solid defense and only held the Packers to 10 points. But in terms of opposing offenses, I think the Eagles might be the toughest test so far for this Packers defense. So how do we think Savage will do against Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles? Honestly, like Carson Wentz, I, I have always thought Carson Wentz is really good. Um, I haven't been able to watch... You know, every single Eagles game with the stuff I've seen, I don't know. I feel like he's still kind of struggling to get back to his prime form that we saw in his first year starting. Um, and so I think that'll be interesting. And I think that there's kind of still a little bit of a lack of confidence there. He's still trying to find back in his rhythm. And I think that that's something that uh, Savage can really take advantage of. This is going to be a great game on Thursday night. The Eagles come in struggling at 1-2. and two. They're extremely banged up, especially in their receiving core. And I think that the, I mean, this game is in Green Bay. I think that the Packers are probably going to move to 4-0. I mean, we'll see. The Eagles would need a strong, a really strong effort to go into Lambeau and come away with a win in a primetime matchup with the way the Packers have been playing. I just want to point out before we move on from Savage, let's just look back. Since 2004, the um, with the Defensive Rookie of the Year, a secondary player has only won the award twice. That was... Marshawn Lattimore with the Saints in 2017 and Marcus Peters with the Chiefs in 2015. So, I mean, that just goes to show how tough it is for, and both of which those guys are cornerbacks. And so 
no safety has won the award since 2000 or longer than that. Um, so it just goes to show how impressive this is that what Savage has been able to do for the Packers throughout these first three games. And if he can keep this up, he's going to be the first safety to win this award in a really long time. So another guy that plays in the NFC North and someone Jordan picked last week to be the best Terp in the NFL, Stefan Diggs, who is struggling so far through three games. I have to say, I I have a hard time saying he's struggling without, you know, watching every single game in depth. I think it's a lot of the Vikings have switched up their style of play. Um, right now, Stefan Diggs last week had three catches for 15 yards, uh, but he only had three targets. And so I think we've talked about this throughout uh, the NFL season so far. We all thought he was going to be huge going into it, and his numbers last year suggested that. And everyone, you know, he was picked as a top pick in fantasy across the league in the NFL top 100. But the Vikings have been going to Adam Feline, and they've also just been running the ball so much that he hasn't gotten opportunities and I wonder if there's something else going on there Um, because I feel like yes you're changing your style of play and things like that but he should be seeing you know uh, more targets more chances and it's kind of been upsetting for me to see because I was you know really looking forward to him having a huge season yeah I gotta say I was so disappointed in the showing that we saw from Stefan Diggs obviously last week I thought I talked about how I thought he was gonna have such a big week against the Raiders because of how weak their secondary is. But as we continue to see, and as we've touched on before, the Vikings are running the ball at a record pace. They are nonstop giving the ball to Dalvin Cook. It, I mean, it's pr- pretty it's pretty obvious that they don't have very much trust in what Kirk Cousins can do for them. And, I mean, the way that game was played on Sunday, the Vikings went up early, and they went up early by a lot. So they weren't trying to pass the ball much. Cousins did not throw the ball very often. And I think Diggs has unfortunately been a product of the changing offense in Minnesota. And hopefully he can turn it around. Hopefully they can get him some more targets. From a fantasy perspective, I know it's really disappointing. People who had Diggs, they were expecting him to be, you know, a strong wide receiver too, which he has proven to be throughout his career. And he has definitely moved to the bench for a lot of people, I'd say. If you're trying to acquire some wide receiver help for your team, he's definitely a buy-low candidate. Doesn't have too much value right now, but hopefully he can build that back up. They play the Bears this week, which is not an ideal matchup for anyone on offense. It's one of the best defenses in the league, but hopefully he can turn it around. I would expect that game to be a lot closer than the um, Raiders game last week, so maybe the Vikings will be throwing the ball a little bit more. And hopefully, I mean... Thielen's numbers have suffered too, so it's not like it's just Diggs. I think this is really just a product of the new offense, and they are just really relying on Dalvin. But if, if you look at what Stefan Diggs has done so far this season, you know, he's looked good. Like, he has six receptions, but has gotten 101 yards, a touchdown, and is averaging 16.8 yards per reception on that. I don't think that it's he's doing bad. I mean, maybe he's not getting... I haven't been watching a film to see, you know, how much he's getting open, how he's matching up with those guys. But I think, like we said, it's just going to other guys. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I feel like there has to be something else going on there. Maybe there's still some lingering stuff, the injury. It just seems really strange to me that you have a guy coming off of his career best year 
uh, has a growing fan base. I think he's a lot better than, you know, than Phelan, in, in my opinion. Um, I think that he can is a bit more dynamic and um, it's been really surprising to see that. And I'm hoping that changes, but like you said, I think a lot of it is just not having that confidence in, in Kirk Cousins. And I, it, it makes me kind of wonder what we could see him do if he was, you know, with like, you know what I'd love to see? I would love to see Stefan Diggs with Patrick Mahomes. Like, uh, that, that would, would be, be so much fun. That would be wild. That would be wild. <laughs> um, I think that, it just, for Diggs, a lot of it, I think, has also been bad luck. If we look back to week two, Diggs, Diggs could have had three touchdowns in that game and could have had a monster game, like close to 200 yards had he had that happened. He had a touchdown called back on a slant route in the beginning of that game um, because of an offensive pass interference by a teammate of his. And then Cousins also wildly overthrew him, which would have been a walk-in huge touchdown oh, late, so in that, that. late in that game. So I think I think it's really been combination of bad luck, the changing offense, and yeah, they're just, they've just been really relying on Dalvin. Didn't he get fined too? Like yeah, for he, something ridiculous. He after his touchdown in Green Bay, he took off his helmet and was uh, talking some smack to the crowd. Which taking off your helmet in a celebration is a big no-no. So that was a automatic flag and fine. But Diggs, Diggs, uh. Uh, made some headlines on Sunday. He um, had, there was a Make-A-Wish kid. Her name is Brooke. And she, her wish was to meet Stefan Diggs. So he had her out on the field um, before the game. And they had a catch together. And they both wore shirts. She wore a shirt that said, I met Stefan Diggs. He wore a shirt that said, I met Brooke Pagensi, I think the name would be pronounced. And I think that was a really cool moment. Diggs was getting a lot of love on social media from that. I think it's it's really good to see someone like Diggs. You know, he's a real class act, giving back to the community, especially to someone suffering so much at such a young age. This this girl is 12 years old and um, looks like she's dealing with cancer, which is just it's really nice to see Diggs taking some time out of his pregame warm-up to give back to the community. And another player, another wide receiver coming out of Maryland, who scored his first touchdown of the year this past Sunday, DJ Moore with the Carolina Panthers, and ironically scored a touchdown without Cam Newton at quarterback. Yeah, Cam Newton was was looking bad um, the start of the year, and, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of passes that Moore was, like, open on, and, you know, Cam was just missing passes to everyone uh, through the first couple games of the season. But, you know, this pass for DJ Moore – was uh sorry this touchdown for dj moore was great you know he uh it was he went 52 yards and uh he kind of just zoomed past a swarm of defenders for the touchdown really just a great play for him um you know it's not just like a short touchdown where he's catching it he's you know dodging defenders he's really working for that score and uh i think he looked good um it'll be interesting to see what goes on with um, Cam Newton's injury and even if he isn't injured he just doesn't look like himself and you know whether the injury is playing a part in that or it's something else um, so to see how he continues to play uh, with their backup I know they Christian McCaffrey so they might be trying to run the ball a bit more which I think has played a factor in it certainly did last season but he looked really good uh, on that play. Moore's touchdown really showed off how explosive he is as a pass to the middle of the field great pass from backup quarterback Kyle Allen and then once Moore got the ball, he just exploded. No one could touch him. And it was really just a great touchdown. 
but it's unfortunate he only had two targets in the game, and he also had a rush for 12 yards. I think that this this could be a bad sign. It could be a fluke, could also be a bad sign. Definitely something to watch. If we look at their other main targets, see Curtis Samuel. He had seven targets for he had five catches for 53 yards and a touchdown. He's the number two receiver there. And then the resurgence of Greg Olson. He has struggled with injuries the past couple of years, and he looks to be back into uh, vintage Greg Olson form. He ha also had seven targets for six uh, catches and 75 yards and two touchdowns. So um, it looks like in Kyle Allen's first game, he was looking away from more a little bit. Like I said, I don't know if this is a fluke or if this is going to be a pattern. We will see more this week against the Texans. Hopefully it's just a fluke because more has been – very good this year. We talked about last last week how his targets when Cam was on the field were very high and he was getting the yards, but he couldn't get the touchdowns. But this week it was just one big touchdown, which it was great to see him get his first touchdown, but also not great to see the decrease in targets. And we'll have to see if this continues. Looks like Cam Newton could be out a little longer. He's already been ruled out for this week against the Texans. And I think that this could continue for another couple weeks. We'll just have to see. I was going to say we'd like to see more from more, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I feel like that's too bad of a pun for me to pull. But uh, I mean, Moore's. I would like to see more. <laughs> Moore's um, stats this year, he's, he's really been solid. I think that he's he just needs to continue to see those targets. and More targets yeah, for yeah, more. More targets for more. <laughs> and um, I think that he'll, he will continue to get better as the season goes along. He's a great young player. And I think that if he can continue this, get some more touchdowns, he could be in consideration for the Pro Bowl. And I think on that touchdown, you mentioned that no one can touch him. And he really showed off his speed after he caught that ball, just ran all the way up the field, dodged a few defenders, and he was free. But he didn't even get touched on that play. And I think that shows the kind of potential that he has. I mean, obviously, this is his second season. We haven't really seen the best that he can be. And I think once Cam Newton finds his groove again, because Cam Newton went to the Super Bowl, and he's a, he's a guy that was a top quarterback at one point in this league. So if he finds that groove and he's on page with DJ Moore, I think this guy can get to the Pro Bowl and the Panthers can be a good team. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Cam. A lot of, It seems like a lot of analysts are kind of giving up on him, saying maybe he's over the hill. He just he's, had so many injuries. He's, he certainly did not look right. And for a guy... Um, who relies on his mobility. That's that's his number one uh, strength of his game. To be having foot issues, that's not a good sign. So we're going to need to see um, improvement from Cam when he comes back because Kyle Allen looks very good. I know the Cardinals are not a team that is known for their strong secondary play and strong defense in general, but Kyle Allen looked very, very playable and very solid, and I think that the Panthers will be just fine without Cam for however long he is out for. And there wasn't really a ton of other action, uh, notable performances from Terps. Yeah, Yannick Ngakwe, he, had, he was back from his hamstring injury. He um, had four total tackles, two of which were solo against the Titans on Thursday Night Football. The Jacks picked up their first win of the season. And it was good to see Yannick get his groove back. Um, I think that uh, they have... A uh, decent matchup this week against the Broncos, and hopefully he can uh, add a couple sacks to that stat total. Because, like we've talked about, he's playing for a new contract. S the situation in Jacksonville 
does not seem to be too ideal. They're having some issues with Jalen Ramsey, obviously. He's demanded a trade. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Yannick at the end of this season if he ends up staying with the Jags or not. And yeah, but they've got a good situation, you know, with Gardner Minshew now, and that was really fun to see all of that. So not the best situation on defense, but that he what a fun character. That's been really fun to watch. Yeah, he has been uh, very entertaining. you got to love that stash. I saw something. It was like um, if Daniel Jones and I forget who else had a mustache, I wonder what, what we would be saying about them because uh, – Minshew has really, uh, you know, generated so much uh, attention because of his mustache and his style and uh, some of those uh, funny college stories about him. So are there any Terps in the NFL or even NBA that you think could rock the mustache? Hmm. I think Bruno Fernando could rock something like that. I could see him with like a he little, has, he's had like a he goatee. He has a beard going right now. I saw it on his Instagram yeah. story today, but I think he could definitely work out something with a mustache like Gardner Minshew. Um, I think I know Stefan Diggs has uh, experimented a little bit with facial hair. I feel like he could look he could look cool. I think uh Alex Len would maybe look interesting with a mustache. Maybe have a little uh Steven Adams look to him, a little rugged uh seven footer with that mustache. That would be that'd be pretty funny. See I think it'd be great on like Kevin Herter, um just you know, because he's got the red hair. Yeah, that'd be funny. He's he's pretty young. I don't know if he could he could even grow. That's like, what a real I was gonna mustache. say. Like I don't know if he could, <laughs> but uh, if he could, I feel like I feel like that'd be very funny. He could it could play into whatever nickname he ends up deciding. Yeah, that you would... know if he does red velvet, if he ends up sticking with red velvet, you know you can play into that with the mustache. I mean, it's clearly proved as a great marketing strategy. So I yeah. think one of the Terps should take advantage. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty funny. Another Terp in the NFL, definitely someone who's old enough to grow facial hair, Vernon Davis of the Washington Redskins. And he's taken over for Jordan Reed, who's experienced a lot of concussions in the past couple of seasons, a lot of injuries. And personally, I don't think Jordan Reed is going to play a game again. And there's a lot of question with that. All these concussions that he's had, has he had too many? Can he still play? Can he still produce at this level? But Vernon Davis, obviously he had that monster touchdown already this year but this game just two catches for 30 yards on four targets against the bears and obviously it's against the bears top defense in the league so i didn't expect too much from vernon davis but just two catches for 30 yards uh that uh catch total and yard total are obviously disappointing but as matt mentioned i think the jordan reed situation is worth watching um if if he plays, if he doesn't, I mean Vernon Davis has has proven to be a decent uh, fantasy option if you're looking for a, sh a stream option. I think he's definitely someone you can play. He's kind of touchdown dependent for that point total because he doesn't seem to get too many catches or too many yards. But the highlight of the game for Vernon Davis, I mean this Monday night game was so boring, but I mean it was really a rout by the Bears and it ended up not looking too bad. But the highlight was his. Uh, attempted hurdle over Prince of Mukamura. He was trying to bring back he on that big touchdown on the uh his first catch of the year, he hurdled over the Eagles defender to get into uh to get some more yards and eventually get that touchdown. And they were in the goal line and he tried to go up to hurdle over Mukamara and Mukamara was having none of it. He did he just stopped and uh Davis kinda just did a weird little jump and 
you know, afterwards that was all over social media. Uh, Booger McFarlane was having fun with it in the booth. He was, he uh, was calling him the ageless wonder, how everyone has been calling him. And it was, it was just a really funny moment in an otherwise boring game and boring performance for Vernon Davis. We've also seen a ton of exciting performances in Major League Baseball from three Terps. What's going on with those guys? Well, Lamont Wade Jr. hit his first career MLB home run last week, and we talked about it on the podcast. And now this week, hit his second career home run. He had a monster week with a 462 batting average and a 533 on-base percentage. One home run and one RBI, obviously, off that home run. But I think he's making a case to maybe make the postseason roster for the Minnesota Twins. He's really hitting the ball well, and I feel like every night I see Lamont Wade Jr.'s name on Twitter doing something with the bat, and I think he could really help Minnesota in October. I agree with you, Matt. I think that it'll be interesting to see if he does make the roster. I still would think it's probably a long shot. But this uh, improved performance this past week has definitely been a bright spot and definitely will give him a case to be on that roster. Um, these new, these stats this week are very impressive, and I think that Wade's going to continue to uh, get better. And another guy in the MLB doing it with the bat is Brandon Lau, who just got activated for the Tampa Bay Rays off the injured list. And what did he do? He hit a home run in this weekend after having that injury. So... He's clearly showing that he wants his team in the postseason as well. And the Rays are currently fighting for that second wildcard spot. The A's are ahead in the first wildcard spot with a record of 94 and 63. The, uh, the Rays are 94 and 64 in the second wildcard spot. And just a half a game behind them are the Cleveland Indians. So I think right now that second spot, or really all three wildcard spots are up for grabs between Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland. And to see Brandon Lau in the playoffs, he you can clearly see that he really wants his team to play in October. Yeah, it was so sad to see him get injured and when he got injured. You know, he had just gotten to his uh, announce that he was going to be in his first All-Star game. And uh, then he gets injured. He gets the go, but he doesn't get the play. And that was really hard to see. I think he's just had a monster rookie season. He has really looked great and has, you know, Maryland hasn't really had a star in major league baseball and he's proven to be that guy and you know brought attention to maryland baseball and really made a name for himself and so to see him go down with that injury at that time right when it was about to be this giant stage for him i think was just so hard to see and it's great to see that he's coming back and coming back firing for this team this is huge for the race absolutely huge it wasn't even expected that he was going to come back and they're as matt mentioned they're fighting for this wild card spot um they're half game up right now they still have – we're taping this on Wednesday night, so they have a game against the uh, Yankees tonight, which uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll know if they won or lost. But the So that's a pretty good matchup for them. The Yankees have already clinched. They're worried more so about their health than, uh, than uh, getting home field or anything like that. So the Rays definitely have another opportunity to win tonight. And Lau, Lau is huge having, having him back in that lineup. He's – uh, hitting 274 on the season, 17 homers, 50 RBIs. Obviously, those those numbers are primarily before uh, he got hurt. Um, and unfortunately for Lau, he probably is not going to win the Rookie of the Year, as some might have thought in the beginning. That's going to go to Jordan Alvarez of the uh, 
Houston Astros, who has had an absolutely monster season. But Lau, he's likely going to finish second or third with uh, John Means of the him and John Means of the Orioles. It will probably be neck and neck for that second and third spot. And I think if the Rays can get into the playoffs, Lau's bat is going to prove to be huge for them. Absolutely huge. He's a, he's a great player. He's a star in the making, and it's unfortunate for him that uh, he plays in such a small market with such little fan support that we don't hear more about him. Um, I mean, it's pretty crazy. The Rays this year don't even sell their upper deck tickets. They're just, the upper deck is just completely cut off. They only sell lower level tickets. So, I mean, that just proves the interest level in the Rays in that area. So it's, you know, a little unfortunate that he plays for the Rays, but he uh, will hopefully for him have a chance to prove himself on the biggest stage, and that is October baseball. And speaking of the playoffs, uh, there are two other leagues that are having Terps come up big on big stages. Uh, I think the first that we'll get into is the WNBA. In the finals, you have the Connecticut Sun and the Washington Mystics, and their combined uh, five players who graduated from Maryland, uh, as well as uh, I believe one or two players who you know played a year or two at Maryland and then transferred. Uh, you've got Alyssa Thomas. Christy Tolliver, Tiana Hawkins, Shatori Walker Kimbrough, and Brianna Jones. And uh, it's been interesting to see, you know, how excited Maryland women's basketball is. There's going to be a lot of games in the D.C. area, so Terp fans can, you know, go and show their support. Hopefully, to Pseudo Times, we'll uh, go to cover some games. And I think it's it's been awesome to see uh, more of the attention that the WNBA has gotten this year. And these are some really dynamic players and just showing the dominance of Maryland women's basketball, you know, more uh, players from Maryland than any other school, you know, in the playoffs and in the finals. It's really cool to see uh, the growth of the WNBA, especially this season. I can't say I'm the biggest WNBA fan, but I feel like I've been hearing so much more about it this year. And I think it's awesome that there are so many Terps who are going to be playing in the finals. You know, most notably, is Alyssa Thomas on the Connecticut Sun. She's one of their star players. They're coming off a sweep of the LA Sparks. She had a big first game with 20 points, ended up averaging 12 points per game, five assists, 9.3 rebounds, and 2.7 steals during that series. So, I mean, she's everywhere for the Sun. She does it all. She's one of the best. And, I mean, that's going to be tough for the Mystics to contain in the finals. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how she plays in the finals. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the Connecticut Sun against the Mystics because while the Mystics are led uh, by one huge player in Eladella Don, uh, and they've got some other, you know, key people stepping up, Christy Tolliver from Maryland has played a huge role for them against uh, the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, she played a huge role in their game four clincher with 20 points and nine assists, and she averaged 15 5 points per game and four assists per game in that series uh, and has just looked amazing. I mean, she is just such an incredible shot and I'm excited to see, you know, these former trips go up against each other. Not a lot of them play together, um, but that'll be really fun to see and I'm sure you'll see a ton of trips at those games. She, I mean, obviously the star for the Mystics is Elena Deladon, but Tolliver had a great series as Lila mentioned and they also have um, some role players, the Mystics from Maryland, Tiana Hawkins and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, who don't quite see the minutes and get the action that Tolliver and Thomas get. 
on uh, their respective teams, but uh, certainly play a role, and it's going to be really cool to see all of them play on the biggest stage. Yeah, Natasha Cloud, who played at Maryland uh, for a year before transferring, she still, you know, it was an amicable tr transfer, more to do with family and some other stuff from what, you know, I remember her telling me when she spoke uh, with one of my classes last year, but she's played a big role for them as well. And, uh, you know, she still works out uh, at Xfinity Center sometimes, you know, Maryland. She still works out at Xfinity Center sometimes, Maryland Women's Basketball SID told me today. And, uh, you know, she's kind of like a mid-level player for them, isn't really, you know, a bench player. She, she gets in there and is playing good minutes, but, you know, isn't one of the leading point scorers. But she's a big impact as well. And then if you look to the lastly we're going to talk about, you really see the impact of the Terps. Yeah, in the Premier Lacrosse League, the team that just won the championship, the Whip Snakes, who many people are calling the Whip Terps, and they've been calling them that all season. And it was very fitting that none other than Matt Rambo, who was named MVP right before this game, a Terp, hit the game-winning goal in overtime to win this one. He also hit the game-tying goal with just a few minutes left in regulation to send it to overtime, and then he hit it in overtime to win it. And that just fits this entire league and this entire team that's really headlined by a lot of Maryland lacrosse players. Yeah, you had, uh, you know, the, they started with 20 Terps on the roster. Uh, they had 17 that were kind of on the active roster and playing. And then you also had Joe Walters on the Redwoods, who actually scored uh, earlier in the fourth quarter, like kind of towards the end, because the Whipsnakes initially had the league and Redwoods went on a huge comeback. And Joe Walters, a former Terp, I was joking, we had Matt Rambo and Michael Earhart of the Whipsnakes on uh, a special edition of Outtakes podcast, which you can find on our site or any of our platforms. And um, I was talking to them, like, what's it like to play the OG Terp? Because Joe Walters, um, he graduated a while back. He's uh, in his 30s and is one of the older guys. And so... He was this, one of the only players in the Premier Lacrosse League to be a former Terp but not, you know, play with all the Terps. And so it was really interesting that his goal was the one that then tied the game and then Redwood scored again and Matt Rambo came up big to send it to overtime and we'll kind of hear that overtime goal. He is just a dominant player, three goals and three assists in that game and just, you know, proving to be one of the best lacrosse players in the world. To Matt Rambo. Sprints to Ty Warner. Sprints to the near side of the field to get it to Matt Rambo. Rambo swims on Landis. Gets topside. Rambo scores! So that was a huge moment. I was watching that game. I was actually supposed to be meeting my family for a family dinner, and uh, I was watching so that we could, you know, post some clips, and I really wanted to see it because I had talked to the guys. They told me before the game, whenever I asked them about the PLL championship, I talked to them a couple days before it. Uh, you know, they were saying when we win, and we're going to do this when we celebrate. They were so confident going into that game, and I was kind of getting worried there towards the end, and... Uh, you know, to see it go to overtime, they had so many games go to overtime this year, just is proven to be just such a fun league. They're doing so much better than anyone expected in terms of numbers. They're really growing, doing stuff, uh, you know, with just being really open with media, 
and having, you know, mic'd up and just all this all access. And it's just been so cool to see all the turfs. Yeah, I think one thing they do very well is their social media and the way they get uh, they get content out to fans. And that really lures uh, lacrosse fans, it lures sports fans into to watch their games and see what's going on. And you just mentioned the, the mic'd ups, and that's one of my favorite things. And they had it in the MLB All-Star game this year where every inning was a different player that Joe Buck was talking to. And I think you can really just see the personalities of the players and you get to know them at a different level that they're they're also just people. They're not they're all they're athletes, but they're not just athletes, they're also people. And I think this league does a really good job of getting these players out to the media and getting the content on social media for the fans to see. I was so impressed with uh, the job that the PLL did uh, this year and uh, growing the game of lacrosse. And I think that this league definitely is going to have some staying power. And I think it's so cool to just see all the Terps playing for this one team and being able to take home the first PLL championship. I think it's a great model they did with having a lot of the teams be dominated by certain colleges. I think that's a great way to get fans engaged because um, lacrosse hasn't had that type of professional following yet, but if you kind of make it, make it an extension of the college game, which has seen a lot more popularity, I think that um, will continue to grow the popularity of the sport, and I think that this year proved it, and I'm really excited to see what they do uh, next year. Yeah, and I was when I was talking to Matt because he, you know, was voted MVP of a league and was voted MVP of this game, and I was like, you know, what has changed? Because he's he was in professional cross, so was Michael Earhart and a lot of these guys. But this is the first time that they're really. He was telling you that he would just be out on the street and get recognized, um, and for them that's you know so cool because they didn't get to have that before. Before guys like this, like Matt, used to have to work you know more than one job in addition to doing lacrosse, and now he can just do lacrosse and I think he's going to end up being one of the richest players to play lacrosse um and just to be able to see that to see that this can be an avenue for college lacrosse players that they can have a league to really go into and thrive and not have to worry about um, am I going to be able to pay the bills is huge and as you mentioned it was great to see all the Terps there and actually coach uh Tillman of Maryland lacrosse was there and uh, we talked to him this week about what it meant to be there and see all of his Terps compete? Um, it was it was unbelievable. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get choked up a little bit. Um, just, you know, being there and then kind of just standing back and seeing all those kids and, and seeing what they've done on the field, but what they're doing in their lives. They've all got successful careers in a variety of different areas. Um, you know, just to see them together and playing hard and having to come back and win a tough game, I thought was awesome. Uh, seeing the parents, um, you know, they have a tradition here where they hold up the cards, the Terps. They do that with the whip snakes now. So saw a lot of families and, and girlfriends and, and things like that. So it took me back and uh, it was really surreal, but it great. And just to see him happy was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he was even talking about it seems that the PLL is gonna could even have an influence on college lacrosse another thing that coach Tillman talked to us about is he loves seeing the two-point goals in the PLL they uh, made the field 10 yards shorter and they decided to have a two-point goal range and so you really got to see guys rip it and he was saying that he thinks that college lacrosse should implement that because it could really be a game changer. It makes the game a lot faster, makes it a lot more exciting as, you know, you saw with 
of a PLL this year. And so it's really interesting to see the ways that this league is making and the influence that it could have. This is just year one. So I'm really excited to see what goes on from here. So we'll go back to football and make our predictions. Which Terp will have the best game this week in week four of the NFL? Uh, I have to say Darnell Savage. I mean, he has not missed a beat in any of his games. And playing the Eagles, like I said, I think that uh, Carson Wentz is kind of struggling to find his groove back still. And I think that he can take advantage of that. He's just, he's he's on fire right now. And I think he's going to ride that wave. I'm going to go with Yannick Ngakwe. I think that uh, he's going to have a nice game against a not too strong uh, Broncos offense. Um, I think that he is really, he's back from injury now. He has uh, one more game under his belt. And I think that uh, he's going to finally have that breakout game that uh, we have become accustomed to seeing in years past from Yannick. And I don't want to say that Vernon Davis will have the best game out of all these guys, but I think he'll have a very solid game, maybe even a touchdown against the New York Giants. The Giants defense, not great whatsoever. Their offense has changed, obviously, with Daniel Jones, but now Saquon Barkley is hurt. So I think a lot of momentum can go in favor of Vernon Davis to do well in that one. Yeah, I got to agree with you there, Matt. I think that the Giants' defense is a great matchup for someone like Davis. I saw that uh, Case Keenum didn't practice today, so it'll be interesting to see who's at quarterback for the Redskins. I also saw that Colt McCoy looks to be healthy again, so we'll see who's th- – and then also, obviously, they took – Dwayne Haskins uh, with their first round pick. So it'll be interesting to see who is throwing the ball to Davis during that game against the Giants. But I think that's a great matchup for Davis and he will definitely uh, get some opportunities to add a touchdown. And speaking of Terps in the NFL, we have a special announcement. Uh, In a few days, we will uh, be posting. We're going to be recording the podcast uh, tomorrow with Sean Merriman who is a three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he was once uh, in 2006, was voted first team, and he was the defensive uh, rookie of the year in 2005. Just a dominant Terp. He is back to watch the Penn State game, and we are going to be having an exclusive uh, conversation with him on the Outtakes podcast, so stay tuned for that, uh, for all of our coverage of Terps in the NFL and uh, Maryland football to come.